0: And ha! oh God, Daddy, stay on your bike, And you know, uh, your legs are, are burning, and you don't want to turn around anymore. And you know, if somebody now attacks, you're going to be like blown out of the water. But you just go, no, I just keep going, just keep going. Tied on the inside, it's the solo on the barriers. Oh, what about that? Now then, everybody, I am Tom Ramsey, and welcome to the Edge Coaching Podcast. This podcast will provide a clear insight into the world of athletic performance and help provide a clear, relatable understanding into subject areas revolving training, nutrition, stress, psychology, and much, much more. Without further ado, let's begin. Hello and welcome back. Welcome back to the Edge Coaching Podcast. This is podcast number 35, and today we're going to be talking about transgender competitive cycling, male-female differences, and answering the question of should transgender athletes be competing specifically against other female athletes? Um, I'm very nervous. For today's podcast, um, it's—I I don't think I've ever been so nervous doing a podcast. Um, this this podcast is something um, that I've been meaning to do over the past few days, and it's in light of recent media coverage over transgender sporting performance and the rules that British Cycling and UCI have put in place to try their best and make competitive cycling. Both inclusive and also fair, um, and obviously also this is um, due to recent media coverage on uh, Emily Bridges, who um, is a transgender uh, track cyclist who's wanting to compete um, in in track um, as a female who used to be a male. Um, now. Uh, someone asked like there's many reasons why I'm so nervous about doing this podcast and one is obviously not to uh hopefully not to offend anybody and say the wrong things or um not be politically correct in terms of the terminology I'm using or certain things certain ways in which I'm um expressing my opinions but the other reason is that um with all this media coverage um british cycling are very being very stringent with it all and i've heard that um british cycling are are kind of shoot shooting people down in flames um and and i think you know people can easily be be misled in in thinking that people are for example transphobic i want to make it very clear at the start of this podcast that any points in which i'm trying to get across anything that i'm trying to say at all i need to point out that i am not um campaigning to ban or restrict trans women from sports what i want out of cycling in general generally speaking is a level playing field i want it to be fair and and Ultimately, that's what everyone wants. Um, I also want cycling to be a very inclusive sport. Um, and I want to make sure that, you know, everyone on this planet has the right to be competitive in their environment, in their sport, in their discipline. Um, but there, straight away, poses a problem, in my, um, in my opinion. Now... Before I go into any of the um topics surrounding transgender cycling or any of the um opinions of others with regards to transgender cycling and um and, and competitive cycling as a trans, I want to first of all start this podcast by explaining the factual physiological differences between men and women from a sporting performance perspective and we have to consider that these differences in sport performance are so great that elite male and female athletes rarely compete against each other and this has been the case you know for years and years and years Um, these differences generally give men a competitive edge in sport, that re- that that have kind of absolute strength, acceleration, speed, um, and so on. And generally speaking, the, we can see across the board, generally, a ten percent difference. Um, you know, based on most studies, we can we can kind of conclude that there's roughly a ten percent difference between male and female physiology. So. For example, in a one-hour time trial, generally speaking, females will be roughly six minutes slower than males. Um, again, there is there is definitely differences there depending on the length length of um, the competition, depending on um, depending on the, the the type of competition. But that's generally what we can see across the board. Um, now. What? what, Why are these differences? So first of all, cardiovascular fitness is one thing that we need to consider. So athletes' cardiovascular fitness is measured typically by their maximum oxygen consumption, um, which is also known as what we call VO2 max. And um, this measures their capacity to transport and use oxygen during exercise, basically. Now this is measured by calculating the point at which an athlete's oxygen consumption remains steady despite an increase in an exercise intensity. And mainly due to women's lower blood haemoglobin, um, elite male athletes tend to have a higher Um, kind of oxygen carrying capacity than women so so males tend to have a much higher vo2 max than women so if you take um, you know two athletes who are both at their top of their game the male athlete will have um, a a much higher vo2 max to the female athlete Um, the next key point is bones and ligaments so male athletes tend to have longer and larger bones, which provide a, a clear mechanical advantage over female athletes. The increased articular surface and larger structure of male bones provide them with a greater leverage and wider frame and which to support muscle. Similarly, the ligaments of female athletes are generally more lax and, and a bit, bit more kind of fragile than those of males from a strength perspective male athletes tend to have higher ratio of muscle mass to body weight which allows for greater speed and acceleration um, and, and this also explains why female speeds, uh, speed records in things like running and swimming and obviously cycling are again that kind of 10% slower than, than male um, male times interestingly From an endurance perspective, endurance is largely determined by the body's ability um, and efficiency when converting calories into energy. And interestingly, um, again, generally speaking, female athletes actually um, tend to be more efficient than males at converting this glycogen into energy. Glycogen is the secondary fuel source um, when glucose levels drop a little bit and um, this is um, this tends to be why female athletes excel in like ultra ultra long distance sports um, and rarely kind of hit the wall quote hit the wall during long races. Um, it also explains why why in things like ultra running um, which includes races longer than anything um, anything above a marathon, um, is one of the few sports where elite female and male athletes actually regularly compete together. Um, so from an endurance perspective, you know, really, really, really long endurance perspective, there's um, some advantage to being um, a female over a male. But again, we have to consider all these other other differences from a from a biomechanical standpoint and um, from an injury prevention standpoint from a cardiovascular standpoint and so on um, on top of all that there's obviously some metabolic and hormone differences and not to go through a list of them all one of the primary differences is circulating testosterone now females obviously For those who don't know, testosterone is a hormone um, and testosterone is um, a steroid hormone essential to overall health, sexual function and athletic performance. Um, We both as males and females have some testosterone but males have much more testosterone than females. Um, Females usually have between... 0.1 and 1.8 nanomoles per liter of circulating testosterone whereas males usually have anywhere between 8 to 30 nanomoles per liter of testosterone now this is the critical hormone for a male um, and it helps maintain healthy muscle mass prevents the storage of unwanted body fat aids in the kind of proper reproductive function Um, and for a male it is you know a massive foundation of sporting performance. Um, It arguably gives us that drive to succeed, Um, uh, it builds muscle mass and helps recovery and so on. Low testosterone in a male is associated with decreases in lean muscle mass Um, decreases in energy and competitive drive Um, and you know like i say it is a big marker in terms of sporting performance now on that to slightly switch subjects um, reading through the bc regs british cycling regs um there is a section now. that They've got. Um, I'm looking at a document which is transgender and non-binary participation policy, and there is a section in this document which explains um, the application to complete as a female category. So, if you think about, so let's suggest you are a male. You were born a male, and you. Um, decide as an individual that you don't want to be a male anymore you want to be a female and you want to apply to be a female um, you know be able to race as a female because you want to go through the the process of um, transgender so you want to change your gender from a male to a female now whether you go through any physical physical changes to your anatomy or not um, the only criteria from British cycling's standpoint to go from a male to a female from a racing perspective there's two things that you need to do the first is a signed declaration from that individual rider that their gender, they gen- they identify as a female and they wish to compete in the female category so basically, you need to say that you want to do what you're asking to do. The second priority, the second thing you have to do um, is from um, get a medical professional to sign off to state that you've done some bloods and that your total testosterone level um, in serum has been less than 5 nanomoles per litre continuously for a period of less than 12 months. I'll repeat that. It has to be less than 5 nanomoles per liter. So, going back, females usually have between 0.1 and 0.18 nanomoles per liter of circling testosterone. Males usually have between 7.7 or 8 to 29, 30 nanomoles per liter. And this cutoff that British Cycling is saying is about 5 nanomoles per litre. Okay, first of all, there's still, you know, a a discrepancy there, in my opinion, based on how much circulating testosterone needs to be. Second of all, this, in my opinion, this application to be a female category um, uh, rider is completely negating any of the other differences between male and female anatomy, male and female discre- uh, differences. I've just listed a few of the main differences between male and female from a sporting performance perspective, and most of which lean heavily towards why a male will be in a better position from a sports performance perspective. One of the last things that I said on that list of things was um, how testosterone affects um uh, sport performance and that is essentially what the only thing that british cycling are considering um from a, a sport performance perspective now um one of the reasons that this topic interested me is because i've got some very personal relation with this topic and it's a very touchy subject for me but um, I like to be open and honest, and I like to give people the whole um, the whole idea of of what's you know how how real this is and how um, how I'd like to say ridiculous this is. Um, some of you will already know part of the story um, because I've actually told this story to a certain extent on this podcast before um and some of my closer friends they know the full ins and outs as well Um, if you're interested in the full story please go back and listen to podcast number 12 where I give a much 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 more in-depth insight into the the full background of this but to give you um a rough insight Um, or to essentially say it how it is. (laughs) Um, Roughly five years ago, six years ago, I had um, an absolute sudden, or very, very sudden, over the course of sort of six months, drop in my testosterone. Um, We still didn't know what initially caused that, um, and why it happened. I obviously wasn't taking any... Um, substances, or or trying to manipulate my hormones in that way, it was the last thing I wanted to be honest. <laughs> um, but something happened, whether it was in my brain, whether it was in my um, in my systems, in my testes, we don't know. Um, something has happened in my physiology about six months, uh, sorry, six years ago which altered my hormone levels, and it made my testosterone levels plummet. Now, again, going back to normal male testosterone levels, um, somewhere in the region of um, 8 to 30 nanomoles per liter, um, when I got my testosterone tested, it was right down at 2 nanomoles per liter two nanomoles per liter now just again to put that into perspective if i went to british cycling at that stage in my life and i said to them i declare as a woman i declare as a female they would have tested my um testosterone levels um and i could have raced as a female cyclist to also put this into perspective, at that time of my life, I was winning um, and won the local two, three, four crit series around uh, where I live. And from a performance perspective, if I directly compare my kind of power outputs, let's say um, for you know one minute, five minute, twenty minute tests, and so on against elite women cyclists, they are still the same, if not better, than most women cyclists at an elite level. Um, So, again, to reiterate, I could have been racing at an international level, getting a career benefit, both sporting and financial benefit, out of racing as a female cyclist there I wouldn't have even had to you know it sounds ridiculous I wouldn't even had to necessarily change my appearance I wouldn't have had to do anything with regards to that There was a period in my life where my testosterone plummeted and if I declared as a woman I could have raced as a woman in um in in, in cycling Now that just puts it into perspective for my from my standpoint um that from a i mean yeah i mean i won't go through the ins and outs i felt like death warmed up back then you know my my testosterone was so low i had no libido i was wasting away i had no muscle mass i felt awful um i felt an unbelievable amount of fatigue um and I didn't know what was going on. Now, again, if you want to hear more more of the ins and outs of that story, listen back to um, podcast number twelve, and I give you the full ins and outs of what happened, why it happened, and and where I came came out of that. But um, but yeah, it wasn't a very good time in my life. But still, in terms of absolute sport performance wise, I was still winning the local crit series. I was still performing well on the bike. And in terms of my outright numbers, they were still as good of, I think, better than, you know, the the top, top uh, female athletes in the world. Now, we have to consider that my sporting performance as a snapshot of that, you know, 12 month period when I was at that low testosterone it wasn't just a reflection of that 12-month period. It was a reflection of the fact that I'd still been through puberty. I'd still had all of those years of cycling experience and all those years of training and muscle memory and everything revolved around cycling as a male athlete for, you know, 23 years of my life before that happened. And I can't just suddenly, therefore, you know, have these short-term changes and therefore suddenly I can be on a level playing field with other female athletes. It would not work like that. And, you know, I think I had a laugh and a joke, um, with one of my friends, um, local bike shop owner at the time. And he did say laughingly, you know, you could, you could compete as a female athlete and, to be honest, like, you know, I obviously laughed it off and, and thought nothing of it whatsoever, because how ridiculous it would have been, that's the last thing on my mind, obviously, you know, this is complete opposite of someone who's wanting to be transgender, I'm a, I'm a male, and I and I want to race as a male, and I don't want to be racing against females, because that feels unfair, that feels ridiculous, Um, but I could have done, that is the point that I'm we're trying to make here um and and i could have benefited from it from a financial perspective and from a results perspective um and yeah i mean when i tell that story it just shows how how crazy the rules are at the minute so let's go into a little bit more depth on the emily bridges story um for those who don't know um Emily Bridges is um, a twenty-one-year-old cyclist. Um, she was born in Wales, um, and we. She was formerly known as somebody called Zach Bridges. So, um, she changed her name after she came out as transgender. And I'm not sure exactly what what um, what point in her life she became trans. Um, and became a female athlete. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what we know. I don't think there's loads of information on the internet about that. So Emily, um, when she continued to race against men until she did that kind of hormone change and, um, met British cycling's criteria so she could race against women, um, while on hormone therapy, she remained competitive against men's events and even won gold and bronze at the British University Champs um, in Glasgow at the end of February, while representing University of Birmingham. Now, Bridges, before coming out as trans- transgender, um, was you know this up-and-coming cyclist called Zach Bridges, Um, And while she was called Zach Bridges, she set the um, British junior 25 mile record in just over 47 minutes. And a side note that by comparison, the women's record is about two minutes slower than that. After starting hormone therapy, um, she says, I didn't want to compete in the men's category any more than I had to. She wanted to compete as a female athlete, um, and the plan was for her to always race against other women. Um, at that university champs, uh, Bridges won gold in the points race and the bronze um, in the team pursuit, with time almost ten seconds faster than um, the uh, the females' um, race. At the Tokyo Games, um, so you know she was very established in the um, in the males category even before she moved to the female category. Um, Bridges recently lapped the field in Bucks Points Race and was winning events at the Derby Track League, both in the men's category some figures show she has lost around 4% of um, her power output since transitioning. So, you know, this hormone therapy that she's on, um, reducing her testosterone, she's lost roughly 4%. And I can understand where that 4% is coming from. You know, again, um, personally, when I was on, when I was very low testosterone, you know I can understand where that 4% would coming, was coming from you know I, I felt subjectively I felt um, that lack of power even though I was still racing okay and the numbers weren't too bad I did feel like that period there was a definite dip in performance and um, but over this time Emily Bridges was still beating pro-conti male riders in sprints um, and you know suggest she's going to destroy the female field um, you know th- this would lead her into taking an olympic spot and a career and you know this would be a sporting career and a financial career um, you know taking one of those spots from from you know a, a female athlete who has been a female th- athlete all their lives um in my opinion that's that's very unfair now after a long, drawn-out um, affair with British cycling and the UCI, and so on, um, you know there was lots of heated debates about online about whether she should or shouldn't race, and as I'm sure you probably guessed, there was a lot of different um, forums arguing arguing to and f- uh, for um, her right to compete as a as a female um but about 4 or 5 days ago um the bridges um, was declared not to be able to compete at the national omnium champs um after a ruling by cycling's governing body the UCI um the statement released by british cycling on wednesday evening said that under the UCI's current guidelines emily is not eligible to participate in the event um and basically, the UCI officially said that the reason for um, her participation not being allowed is that she registered with them as a male cyclist and therefore cannot compete as a woman until her male UCI UCI ID, ID expires. Now, in my opinion, it's the right decision. Um, and I think a lot of the people listening to me albeit not, I appreciate maybe not all the people listening to me will agree with me there that um, it was the right decision. And I think that is, is, is purely, um, you know, yes, there's the whole uh, registering as a male cyclist thing, but equally after everything that I've just said, you know, um, for her being qualified as a male cyclist purely on on the basis of testosterone levels um, is definitely unfair. Now, Instead of me just ranting on about the twos and fros of, of different um, different perspectives, I thought that I would um, ask ask some of my clients what their opinion on, of it was. Um, and me being a male, I decided to ask most of my female athletes what their perspective was on it. Um, because I, yeah, didn't want it to be biased on me being a male, and I wanted to make sure that there was um, a good mix of male-female um, opinions. And, yeah, it it just so happens that um, most of the replies I got, if not all of the replies I got, kind of agreed with or were on the similar kind of mindset of, of me. Um, they were basically most of which suggesting that it was the right decision from the UCI and that um, Emily Bridges should not be uh, racing against other females. And some of the replies that I got were interesting, actually, um, and gave some good good arguments to it and some good perspectives as well. So I'm going to reel through... A few of these. Um, all of these replies I'll make sure are anonymous and um, obviously I know who submitted these um, because I simply asked my clients through a quick WhatsApp message um, if they had any comments on. Um, some of them were fairly short, some of them were fairly in-depth um, but um, but uh, yeah a lot of them gave me a good little insight into what, what uh, the, these female athletes' perspective was. Um, one of the replies that I got was, the current rules do not go far enough to make it fair. I think this is a very complex, difficult issue. I don't envy those that have to navigate it. I really think you start to run into trouble right away when you introduce the notion of Fair. Yes, you can change your name, your pronouns, your hair, your hormones, and your body and you, and of course, have every right to do so. But that is, in fact, um, you can't change your genetics. You can't swap a Y for an X, or vice versa. So, that person put it there very bluntly, very um, to the point, and, and I would agree with everything that they said. Yes, you can change all of these small characteristics from a physical standpoint. And you can change your name and you can change your hormones. But at the end of the day, you can't swap a Y for an X. And there is lots of other factors to, um, to consider when it comes to the difference between male and female sport performance. Um, I mean, you know, I appreciate the fact that we're getting a lot more accepting of different uh, different transitions, different uh, ways of categorizing people and, and their opinions on how they perceive themselves. But, um, you know, if we put this notion to somebody... Um, you know, 40 years ago, um, it would be a, a completely different kettle of fish. And, uh, you know, like this person said, you can't swap a Y for an X or vice versa. Um, another person said, I do feel for Emily. Um, obviously referring to Emily Bridges, as I'm sure she just wants to race her bike in a category she feels part of. But I do understand the, the the decision that has been made. Obviously, the decision that had been made, meaning that she can't race in that category, her participation wouldn't be completely fair. I think it's a good thing that there's been a lot of media attention around transgender athletes, as I believe elite sport needs to learn and understand more about how we can get um, respect, how we can respect all athletes but continue to compete fairly. Another reply I got uh, from another female athlete of mine um, was that my opinion would be that BC made the right decision. For women, The right decision meaning that she can't uh, race, race in the omnium. Um, for women's sport, transgender athletes would kill it. They would devalue all the hard work females put in as we simply can't compete with someone who has the physiology of a man. It would be like me competing against my boyfriend. I'm technically a better cyclist, but he would still beat me from pure power and strength. Saying this, I'm not sure how going forward this problem would be solved. And I don't know the scientific stuff well enough to say anything about that. But as an athlete who has tried to compete with the best, this is a real threat to everything's women's sport has developed um, to over the last couple of years. I mean, yeah, that um, that reply put it into perspective there. You know, women athletes at an elite level... Um, who have been training hard for years. Um, you know, th- sh- that one was comparing her against her boyfriend and the fact that technically she's much better, but her boyfriend would beat her in terms of pure power and um, absolute strength. Um, again, you know, British cycling rules in ch- changing hormone differences is one thing but innately that power and strength will still be there and it will still be there um, at a higher proportion compared to a female athlete. You know, we know that Emily Bridges um, power profile has declined by an average of about 4%, but that does not equate for the overall differences by about 10% between women and males. Um, another reply from an athlete of mine um, uh, there are physiological differences between different women which is why some excel and are elites and some aren't from the, reason, from the reading I've done there doesn't seem to be enough research yet for decisions to be made mainly because there aren't enough subjects to study I know a couple of trans women Um, who have no interest in sport as a side note Um, so can completely see why those who do want to do sport and and should be able to compete honestly have absolutely no idea how to uh, categorise but sport isn't fair I've drawn the parallel before that someone with no lower legs who runs on race blades isn't allowed to compete against elites as the race blades give advantage is this any different and a question mark that your birth sex gives you an advantage question mark i don't know but personally i would prefer no trans at elite and maybe national level until more research and discussion is done. Lower than elite may be okay, and it should be allowed to race, in this person's opinion. I guess we need to run round out this um podcast to give my opinion on it. And again, this is just my opinion. This could not be true. Um, this is my opinion based as a cycling coach. And as someone who's been racing bikes all their life. My opinion is that allowing a transgender cyclist into racing against women cyclists is not fair. If you were born as a male and you had gone through puberty and you'd been developed as a male all the way through your um, most of your athletic career... You will have got certain underpinning differences, benefits, um, which I've listed in this podcast, um, over a over a female cyclist. Not only will some of those physiological benefits still still be operating, such as a higher VO two max, such as um, you know lot bigger and 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 longer limbs and so on but also those differences which aren't still occurring now due to these hormone discrepancies, you will have been training with those better values for a proportion of your life where a, a, women, a woman cyclist has not. Not only that, but we also have to consider still the discrepancy between hormone levels. British cycling rules currently state that anything under 5 Uh, nanomoles per liter, whereas normal female um, uh, testosterone levels are far, far lower than that anyway. In my opinion as well, to go a little bit further, there is other uh, biomechanical differences which I haven't necessarily discussed in this podcast, which which would massively favour a male anatomy over a female anatomy we could go into the realms of talking about different uh q angles and so on um and and we talk about the the kind of um ratios of our hip diameters compared to the crank lengths and so on and there's there's many different um anatomical considerations as well as biomechanical considerations um, as well as all the physiological considerations which I've talked to on this podcast. Um, I think we should probably stop talking about the current rules um, uh, because it, it, it will never be fair. You cannot re- remove male advantage. So they need, you know, British Cycling and the UCI need to find another way to include transport. I think, I mean, one of my clients... Um, discussed the possibility of giving them their own category so you would have you know a male category a female category and a trans category i think personally i don't think that's necessarily the the right way forward as it is because you know they are still a minority and in terms of the amount of athletes who are trans and um and yeah the the in terms of um Having a completely set up cap- category for them, it wouldn't be. Um, it probably wouldn't be the best way forward. But equally, um, you know that w- that would make it potentially fair. There will, however, even with that, be multiple other um, uh, considerations in terms of when they became trans did they become trans at five years old (laughs) i bloody hope not um too young to 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 kind of make that decision themselves i'm sure but um had did they become trans at you know 16 years old or did they become trans at 32 years old did they transition from a male to a female or a, a female to a male did they, um, you know, different testosterone differences, but also different um, physiological differences and biomechanical differences? Have they changed anything in their biomechanics or, or, or appearance or physiology? Or is it just the difference in hormone? Um, there's too much things to consider. There is way too many things to consider. Personally, personally, if it was me, I would say if right now, if you wanted an answer from me right now in terms of how trans women would compete in professional sport, I would say that they can compete in sport, but there would need to be much more stringent criteria on how they qualify to be a female. So for example, not only the hormone, not only the testosterone, but also other tested criteria exactly what that might be i can't put a finger on it just yet because there isn't enough research um but you know it may need it may need in some cases surgical intervention um again i'm not gonna jump out of my realms of professionalism here i certainly am not um you know, a master of trans athletes and the the main differences between female and male anatomy, physiology, biomechanics. Um, I know enough to be a, a good performance coach from both genders. Um, and at present, I don't have any trans athletes on my books. If I did, I would welcome them with open open arms and have a really in depth discussion about their own. Uh, physiology and how like can I do with any other athlete how they recover how they train what works best for them um, but um, yeah in terms of including them to compete against other female athletes I don't think it's fair at the minute and that rounds up today's podcast Um hope you enjoyed it it was a hard one to talk about, actually, because I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I stayed fairly politically correct. Um, and, you know, generally as it, as it goes, all my opinions are um, polit- politically correct. And uh, I don't have any, um, I'm not one to speak out of terms and I, and I don't have any massive, massive kind of opinions either way um like a lot of people do um and like a lot of people think they do um but yeah what I do know is that the current rules aren't fair um and there needs to be some some more kind of research done on the topic area um this weekend I didn't have loads of time to prep for this podcast um I was away with the family we stayed we stayed at Sherrod Pines and I raced raced a a cross-country race on Sunday which was yesterday Um, and uh, yeah I didn't have loads of time to prep for this podcast so kept it fairly short fairly concise dropped in some opinions of my other other riders which hopefully um hopefully kept you interested and uh yeah I'll see you at the next podcast thank you very much for listening and see you again soon